Live from Grover's Corners. And the Be Kind Rewind Rental Store. This is Derailed Trains of Thought. Hi, Tim. Hey, uh, this is kind of a weird way to do the podcast. Yeah, in two different locations. Why Uh, are you over? Where are you? I'm in somewhere in New Jersey at this rental store that has a lot of awful lot of attention for uh, they're still renting VHS tapes. Really? Wow. Well, I'm enthusiasm for it. Yeah, I'm over, I guess, kind of your area. I'm I'm in New Hampshire somewhere. This island, a nice little town. I, I feel like I might be about. 100 years earlier than you are but um, it's kind of really old timey here not even cars or anything yet oh wow okay i guess the podcast felt it'd be safer for us if we were uh, separated for a little bit you know with quarantine uh, land in america right now yeah i guess so i mean it's kind of strange though i don't know that i've ever recorded a official episode with in a different location i guess it well, was I nice mean... they took us nowhere dangerous as far as i know <laughs> Well, it's been a while since the podcast started taking us places. We had it, you know, way back when I was recording from film school and you were recording from home, but you know. Yeah, but we were just in our normal places, not like somewhere. Yeah. Like, so I, uh, I guess we'll just have to, to figure out how to do it this way. Yeah. Well, okay. But uh, at least we can communicate. But uh, it, it's it's different, but uh, the podcast provides. It it does it does and welcome folks. This is a kind of unusual episode for us, but hopefully you can enjoy it. This is uh, Derailed Trains of Thought, your premier podcast on storytelling. This is uh, Nick Hayden. I'm kind of the writer guy, and my name is Timothy Deal. I uh, have a film background, but I've also done some writing. So Tim, how how is your life different since last time we recorded? You know, it has been a few. Uh, it's been a little while, hasn't it? Uh, we skipped a, a month for some reason. Yes. Well, in case you were listeners wondering, yes, I finally got hitched. Do doom! Uh, yay! Yes, I had our our wedding with my lovely wife Janelle on October twenty fourth, and uh, we were able to to have it despite all the uh, COVID and everything. It, it, it made for some tense. Um, week beforehand as (laughs) things were wrapping up and we weren't sure where we would be and stuff like that but we wound up being able to have our reception small gathering because of uh social gathering limits but we were able to have still a nice little crowd of people to uh celebrate with us including my best man nick hayden oh yes yes i was there i wasn't even transported i came normal Yes, it was it was very kind of the podcast to bring you there normally, or it, I guess I should say for the podcast not to interfere. <laughs> exactly. The podcast was there in spirit, though, I guess. <laughs> it would have been awkward if it decided that uh, we needed to record our episode while I was getting married. Uh, so has, has that would be super awkward. Has Janelle been anywhere with the podcast? Uh, not yet. Uh, okay. She, She's not too sure about some of the places we've gone to, so uh, I, I'm not sure she's ready to brave that quite yet. Uh, that that's a, probably a valid point there. Yeah. So, well, congratulations, Tim. It was a great wedding. I enjoyed being there. Well, thank you, and we're glad to have you. I was happy to have you as best man. And speaking of which, one of the duties of a best man was to give a speech. Oh, yes, I do I have to give a speech occasionally. Yeah. So, <laughs> Well, and thankfully, uh, we got that moment recorded. So, uh, Which, I, yeah, I did not the... know that until very recently. So I'm excited it was recorded. I think, I, well, I think I'm, I have not actually heard it live. <laughs> 
So you haven't I'm heard it for yourself because you were busy delivering. I was it. busy being there. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, anyway, since most of our listeners didn't get to, to be there in person, we thought it'd be fun to share it. So let's hear how it sounded. A few weeks ago, I joked with Tim that we should bring our podcast equipment to the wedding. And uh, begin by saying, live from Janelle, Tim and Janelle's wedding, this is Daryl Train the Thought. And Tim, Tim almost did it. But, um, and given the ever-changing requirements of love in the time of COVID, um, <laughs> Maybe an audio version wouldn't would have been a good thing. Um, I mean, just imagine the commentary. Uh, yep, looks like it's wrapping up, folks. Now the pastor is telling Tim he can kiss the bride, and here it comes. Goal! <laughs> uh, you'd need a soccer announcer to really do it well. But I've known Tim since we met at Hill University, Fort Wayne. Um, I don't remember exactly how we met. It was probably a discussion of some sort of story or another. Um, <laughs> And then he helped me out with some film about some guy who finally realized who the girl of his dream is. Um, actually, after that, I helped him with a movie about a guy find the girl of his dream. So there's some sort of thing going on here. Anyway, it's funny how God works. Tim and I discovered that uh, throughout our childhood, we actually only lived a country block from each other, and that my mom and his dad used to ride the same bus to school. Um, but it took Tim to stop over here at Taylor Fort Wayne for us to meet. Uh, after that, we always just clicked. Uh, we share a love of Tolkien and Lewis, of Muppets and fantasy, of faith and storytelling. Um, after school, we did some projects together, and we talked about a lot of awful, a lot of other projects that never happened. Um, and eventually, we ended up with this podcast. Um, and the best part of doing a podcast is that it gives us a regular excuse to get together and talk about life, the universe, and everything, uh, most of which is never recorded. And that's basically been our MO for the last 10 years. Um, but in the last year or so, there's uh, been a plot twist. That's you. Uh, <laughs> and it's God working again, uh, putting people together in his own special way. Um, and Janelle, I, I must confess, I feel I'm a little bit at a disadvantage. Um, you've had the benefit, um, if you want to call it that, of, <laughs> of listening to more than 100 hours of my ramblings. And Tim has afflicted a story or two of mine upon you. Um, what do I have? I have a handful of meetings and conversations. Um, don't expect that uh, to change. We do have many more in the future. Um, but really, I don't need to know much more than I do now to know uh, what really matters. You both love Jesus Christ, and Tim loves you. I've been privy to some uh, inside information from pretty early on. Uh, that's some of that unrecorded stuff. <laughs> um, and more than that, you're willing to subject yourself to all manner of complicated plots and drawn out backstories, so you, you must really love them. <laughs> um, and you, Janelle, are you're the answer to Tim's long wait. Uh, so many of the love stories we discuss on our podcast offer some um, absence or separation or long wait, and then finally marriage. Uh, there's Rory and Amy, and Snow and Charming, and Fitz and Simmons, and Barrett and Luthien. Um, I nearly added Kermie Miss Piggy, but um, <laughs> that's probably not flatter, flattering or accurate. But, uh, and, uh, <laughs> but I do need to make at least one more uh, Muppet reference for Tim's sake. Um, so I end with that. Um, in the original Muppet movie, uh, there is one phrase in one song that always gets me, uh, more even than Rainbow Connection. Though I suppose, Tim, uh, you are both a lover and a dreamer today. Um, Gonzo sings a song of longing and belonging, 
Um, and I think he hits upon something meaningful and deep uh, when he sings, there's not a word yet for old friends who've just met. And maybe there's not a word, but I think marriage is certainly uh, close. So I pray only the best for both of you. And that's all I've got. That <laughs> was a good speech. I liked it. <laughs> well written. Well written. <laughs> Like the night before, I'm like, okay, I need to change. This isn't quite working. I need to change this a little bit. And Natasha's <laughs> is working. And yeah, so it was fun to read. And it, it was fun to have all those references to the podcast. And and Janelle got most of them too, which was enjoyable. Yes. Well, she had actually, uh, I think I'd mentioned in a previous episode that she had been listening through all the podcasts. And she, she listened to the very last one the week before the wedding. Have you seen the comment she left? I'm assuming you have. I have, which I should pull that up real quick. Yeah, we got listener feedback. So yeah, for the last episode when we celebrated our 10 years, of course, Nathan also gave us a uh, correction uh, about which Godzilla movie you were talking about. Which is good, yeah. I, we knew he would. We asked him to. So. Yeah, yeah. And then Janelle's note was she gave us a nice congratulatory note for... 10 years. 10-year anniversary episode. But if we go all the way back to episode one... October, uh, October 2010? September 24th, 2010. Uh, okay. Which is, interestingly enough, I was made on October 24th, so Ooh, years and month. one month later. But anyway, on October 21st, Janelle wrote, Hey, Tim, since you said you were an eligible single, I thought I'd leave this here. You sound really fun and interesting and super cute, and I really enjoy hearing you talk. Boss sounds like an enjoyable show, and I was wondering if you'd be interested in telling me more about it. Would you like to, well, get married sometime? My church is available Saturday. Hope to hear from you. Uh, with a little winky face, smiley. So wait uh, a second. So she asked you that 10 years and a month ago, and you just now tied the knot? <laughs> Not quite, no. Okay. <laughs> no, she, she left the comment October 21st, 2020, on an episode oh, that came out September 24th, okay. 2010. So, <laughs> so we're, being, we're being very silly. But thank you, Janelle, sweetie. Uh, that's fun. She's been caught up for last month, so this will be the first time for a month that she has a new episode to listen to. Nice. So we better make it a good one. Okay, well then, with that, let's get to Story School. So, we thought, since we knew we were going to be recording in this manner, and we've had this topic on our list since the beginning of time. <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been toward the top of our topic list, which shows it's very old. <laughs> we always add stuff to the bottom, and then stuff on the top, if it's toward the top of the list, you know, that's been there a while. Yes, and our idea was to talk about limitations, using limitations in storytelling. Um, and we've certainly touched upon this, in, especially in connection with like genres like comics versus movies versus stuff. But we thought we had enough here to tackle for sort of some other sorts of limitations that come up as you create. Yeah. If you want to listen to uh, our episode 89 was about the message and the medium, basically how does a medium shape the story, whether, you know, like you said, the format. But there's a lot more to, um, to limitations than just the genre of story it is. 
Actually, when Janelle was listening to one of our very old episodes, episode two, I want to say. Oh, two. Two is kind of infamous, I think, <laughs> for being us trying to figure out what we're saying. Probably. But it was, I think it was one about uh, commercial versus artistic vision. And uh, we were talking about, I guess, one thing, you know, because I was in the thick of film school then and I would had commented something about how film is a commercial venue. It has to be because of the investment you have, you have to put into it mm-hmm. in terms of money and those sorts of things. And so it, even though filmmakers like to be artistic, they have to recognize who their audience is for because they have to make their money back somehow. Mm-hmm. It's usually it's not just a, a vanity fun project. I mean, if it's a if it's a full length feature film, probably not. They have to they have to actually think about their audience. And Janelle commented that, "Wow, that that's interesting." But I imagine that'd be really difficult for an artist to feel kind of that pressure to live up to the commercial venture in that way. It's felt she felt kind of bad for filmmakers in that way. And I was like, "Well, I think that's true." And we were just talking about this over lunch or something. But at the same time, I think all artists are always trying to push the boundaries of the limitations on their art mm-hmm. while at the same time embracing those limitations. And so I think uh, that's kind of a nice framework for this discussion. Like, cause different and different artists, I think will have different or creators, storytellers will have different comfort levels with this. Some are constantly trying to push the limitations of what they can do and do something different. And other ones, and, and other times that are much more comfortable and kind of fitting in. This is kind of the, this box or this this specialty that I focus my stories in. Yeah, you know, well, and then talking about filmmakers reminds me, there's all those stories of, especially back in sort of the serialized age of storytelling where, you know, all the authors are basically like starving, just pumping out words so they can survive. Um, so you have all these very long, rambling stories sometimes, which is partly the art and I think partly just the the needs of filling up space. For the sake of the newspaper, or wherever you're, you know, you're publishing your your story, or mm-hmm. like people like I remember reading um, L. Ron Hubbard, you know, invented Scientology. He decided to make money a different way, but early on when he was just sort of a genre pulp writer, and you just you just churn out stories, you churn out one every couple of days and sell them off, and that's just how you you don't spend a lot of time. You know, the limitations of basically feeding of family becomes sort of the the driving creative force for for a number of writers, at least back in, in those sorts of settings where you could make money selling short stories that way or stuff like that, which is interesting because we sometimes have this view of like art being this pure thing. And at least some of the stories we were really like came out of basically just the need to get something done. <laughs> need to accomplish something. Yes. So, yeah, it's I think the especially the student artist, storyteller, are always very much focused on the doing something, pushing the boundaries, breaking the rules, that kind of stuff. And I mean, and I think our culture in general tends to look at limitations as an inherently bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah. But I, I think, I think it's worthwhile. To, and it's certainly, like I said, you want to try to be more creative as much as you can within those boundaries. But I think one of the things that it's important to realize is how useful the boundaries are. Personally, I'm, I probably lean more this way anyway. I remember when I was in film school and directing classes and learning all the different tools of the trade and filmmaking, all the different ways that the camera can communicate with movements and mm-hmm. setting and cinematography and all that stuff. And at a certain level, it was like, this is overwhelming. 
like I'm supposed to direct this movie, but like there's just too many choices. How do I decide what's best to present this portion of the story? Analysis paralysis. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Like when you get paralyzed by too many options. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas my focus in film school was editing, which I found much easier because when you're editing a film, it's already been shot. So basically, you're limited to the footage that you have available to you. You basically just have to say, well, here are my pieces. How am I going to put it together? Yeah. And in that way, it's very, very freeing. I mean, I I know there are other filmmakers. George Lucas infamously loved working in the editing (laughs) studio because, yeah, like basically in the actual filmmaking process, like lots of decisions are being done. And a lot of it's outside of the creator's hands. You have to work with a lot more people to get the thing filmed and (laughs) things like that. But having something already down, you know, even the even having the limitation of having something already there in many ways frees you up to actually make something good. I mean, this is what happens when people stare at a blank page. There's too many things that could happen. Mm-hmm. But if you say, you know, if you write 100 words, suddenly there's a lot of things that can't happen anymore. And that that helps you actually keep moving because suddenly like, oh, there's a direction, there's a space, there's a there's a limit. I think in many ways, limitations foster creativity that suddenly you have to, you know, I've had many of what I consider more of my more creative things happen because, okay, here's the situation I'm in and there's only so many different things to happen to get the character out of this. How do I do it? The limitations of having a character stuck makes sometimes really clever answers. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I think if you have to write a story and you only have a thousand words, suddenly you your creativity, what can you get away with in a thousand words becomes much easier than I can write for as long as I want. And then it becomes a whole different beast. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, students writing papers, they lo- love those create those kind of limits. Like, oh, I only have to write 400 words. Oh, thank you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then when you get to be really, if you're really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It Verbose. Verbose. There you go. And then you're like, that's not enough. I have so much I want to say. You know, there's that old saying, sorry, I had to write you a long letter. I didn't have enough time to write you a short one. Exactly, because the short one takes a lot more effort in many ways. Mm -hmm. You have to be a lot more concise, more particular about your word choice. I mean, I guess that's the whole thing with Twitter character limit. (laughs) Again, yeah, I mean, the limitation, think about this, the limitation of, say, Twitter has created a whole new way of discussing things. I mean, there's a whole nother, you know, uh, slang that rose up because you only had had 140 characters. Yeah. And they expanded that and then they made threads possible. Um, but, yeah. but even then, a Twitter thread is still going to be more concise than, say, a blog post or an mm-hmm. article. You still have to get your main point across and that could be really useful. Well, then there's limitations just basically the, the physical physical requirements making a film say you know you're making some of a student film there's certain things you can film and there's certain things you just can't mm, yeah you know there's just locations or ideas or things that i mean maybe you can get away with but either because of your budget or because of your location or because of various things i mean this is why you tend to get very creative if you have a you know if you have a small budget or you have a small amount of work space or you have a, you know suddenly you're like okay i gotta find a way to do this in filming at the college you know what interesting stories can i say doing that yeah 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 no and one of the valuable thing about doing student films i think i may have mentioned this before one of those an undergrad program i was in that had us do all silent movies or at least you Mm -hmm. weren't supposed to have on-screen dialogue 
um, which is kind of a tricky limitation, but the idea was to teach you to really look for how to do visual storytelling, which doesn't always come naturally to students who are just used to, you know, modern media, fast-paced kind of stuff, snappy dialogue, Mm -hmm. which is certainly useful, but in order to, like, really strip it down to what does it mean to communicate visually, it was a very useful exercise. Now, I'm thankful that that was just one semester's worth of film. (laughs) Yes, yes. Because it is useful to have different kinds of limitations depending on what you're doing. The directing class I had in film school, I was thankful that one thing that that he did differently was he didn't want us to write our own scripts because he felt like you want to just focus on the directing and making that come to life. And there's just so much to come up with, you know, if you're trying to come up with the whole story on your own. Well, that's true, yeah. Um, which I was thankful for. Now, I, from what I understand, a subsequent professor chose something different, um, mm-hmm. which there's some value in that too. But yeah, I just think it's it's interesting by picking certain limitations, you learn different things about your craft and maybe even about where uh, your own weaknesses are or things you might be able to prove. Like, I remember when we were trying to do, when you had the Vienna stories or- oh, yeah. We would, we try to do like a little film thing, uh, a film version of that. Our own Heartland Heartland people. Yeah, I think that that's what called? we call it. Though I was never so these, these in were, love with that name. For the people who have not heard, listened to everything we've ever talked about, these are both sort of instances of stories that were very contemporary and uh, small townish. Like there was no necessarily like fantasy or your speculative fiction sort of elements in them, which is not normally kind of our gut reaction and writing stuff. Yeah. You'd written a couple of the Vienna short stories. You wrote two screenplays for possible movies. We did one mm-hmm. of them with a friend of ours. Um, and then the good one we never, uh, the better one we never made. Yeah, but. sadly. Well, in part because we had this idea of connecting each one to the next one. And so we wanted to make sure we had a subsequent entry written before we started working on the next. Mm-hmm. And I was going to do one, but like at that time, I just, did not have, I mean, I was, I've always been bad at kind of, you know, procrastinating, getting stuff out, but I was really struggling with a story in that kind of setting. I didn't know where the conflict was. And I feel like mm-hmm. this is a case where you had a, you have a couple of years on me. Mm-hmm. You're old, in other words. Uh, oh, what, what do you say? Okay. <laughs> if I wasn't in another city, I'd beat you up. <laughs> no, but I mean, honestly, in this case, that really was an advantage because I think just, in terms of maturity, you understood something in a deeper level than I was able to write. Now I, th- I feel like I might be able to write something in a modern contemporary setting, but at that time I was just stuck creatively. I didn't know where to, what to do. It was interesting when we did uh, the different, uh, again, we weren't going to talk genre as much, but I think the limitations of the Pulp Fiction project that we did, hmm. where we would, we pick very distinct genres and then we switch things around and like, I had to write a Victorian drama. And I'm like, I've never done this before. How is this going to look? And it was really it was really fun trying to find how, you know, something that's basically a Victorian romance, which neither of which things are, are necessarily things I would normally write. I mean, I guess some romance, but that, not that style. Normally more comedic. Mm-hmm. And that was really enjoyable. And there's been times since then where I'm like, well, I'm going to write a story for fill in the blank. Like Nathan will give me a challenge or say, write something that goes, you know, and suddenly you have a very narrow window and like, how do I do this interestingly? Mm-hmm. And at least for me, that sort of challenge slash limitation creates a lot of creative juices. Yeah. 
Now that Victorian story never got finished, did it? And the third person never finished whatever. I don't remember who got the third one, yeah, but yeah, nope. Natasha, my wife started it, and then I read this, wrote the second part, and then never got finished. <laughs> well, I remember the hard part, like everyone was like, "How in the world is this going to end?" Because you had like two romantic interests who are both nice people. I know, I know, we did it with the yeah, it was a bad setup for the third person. <laughs> Which was also the challenge and the limitation that you couldn't control what was going to happen next. Yeah, that's true. You could you could set certain things, certain guidelines you wanted to have the next person follow, but they may or may not. But uh, yeah, that was that was a fun experiment. And I think there's some famous examples of limitations causing creativity. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, the reason the shark in Jaws ends up being hardly seen is because they just couldn't get the robot to work. Yeah, that's correct. That's a very famous anecdote about that. And in some ways, it made Steven Spielberg's career because mm -hmm. he it was basically forced him to do it in a very Hitchcockian kind of way where, like, you didn't get to see the shark. It was just more the idea of the shark being there and uh, it was scary. And that, of course, paired with John Williams' music. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's places in, you know, modern films where suddenly the, the limitation that could have just been like, well, this is annoying. They used it to their advantage. I mean, another funny one is just that, you know, Harrison Ford was sick during some filming of Indiana Jones. And then they're like, well, why don't you just shoot the guy? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, you know, just one of those moments everyone remembers from the movie now. But wasn't it was basically just because the limitation, like he just wasn't up to doing, from my understanding, mm -hmm. the action scene that day. Yep, those are both good good examples, and I'm sure there's some cracked article out there listing a bunch of these sort of, <laughs> sorts of things. Uh, yeah. I mean, that is kind of part of filmmaking. Like, you get into a situation and say, like, well, this isn't going to work. How are we going to do this instead? Because sometimes what you envision in a script, you get to lo the location and be like, well, this isn't going to work for X, Y, Z, or, you know, this prop isn't working, or the lighting here isn't great, or we've got, like, five minutes to shoot this thing. <laughs> what do we do yeah. instead? I wonder, so, obviously, we've been largely saying the benefits of limitations on creativity, on sometimes helping you make good choices. What do you think is going to be the sort of um, end results of, like, in theory, things like Netflix and streaming allow less limitations you think that's true or do you think there's just new limitations um that's a good I mean, there's always the money imitation yeah limitation. i mean the downside with like say netflix in terms of limitations is that and this is i think true for independent film in general is that they suddenly they're like oh we don't have to worry about like appeasing the mass market we can do whatever we want and the problem is whenever they like doing whatever they want tends to be we can be as edgy or as explicit or as <laughs> exactly anti-American as we want or, you know, fill in the blank of sleazy Hollywood trends. Uh, <laughs> as long as we cross some threshold, we're doing right. Yes. We must progress. What we're progressing into doesn't matter. But <laughs> So I guess that's the thing that in some ways we're saying limitation is good, but there's a certain – again, we, you introed with this. There's many creative people – tend to think that limitations are also something to break. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 is part of being creative. Yeah. In my example, of course, I was talking about like explicits or unsavory yeah. content. But you could also say that in like sometimes when people get too experimental of like, I'm going to make this really wild, crazy thing and the audience doesn't know how to react to it. And mm -hmm. you may wind up with a, with a uh, cult classic by doing that. But you could also wind up with a mess. 
Yes. I'm trying to think of a, of a good example here. Um, of a mess or a cult classic? <laughs> well, either or. Well, cult classic, of course, I'm going to go get a turn to Henson. Yeah. Cause, Which I guess there, I'm just throw up limitations is the, you know, obviously a lot of the things with like the Muppet movies was just working with how do you do this with a Muppet? Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, you know, all kinds of like how they would climb a building or sit in a swamp or, you know, they came up with very clever ways of doing things. And they would they would constantly be challenging themselves, too. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, people thought it was cool to see Kermit riding a bike in the Muppet movie. Let's have like a whole crowd of Muppets riding bikes in this one. And we'll really blow exactly. people's minds. Yeah. <laughs> things like you love you love challenging limitations and things like that. And then again, things like. Dark Crystal Labyrinth was definitely mm-hmm. pushing the limitations of what you could do with on-screen puppetry. And Jim Henson Company has continued that with the Dark Crystal TV series, which was... Which was amazing what they pulled off. It is really amazing what they what they pulled off. Um, on the flip side, though, I would say that I think one problem that Jim Henson Company has always had is that they're... Sometimes they, they really make their being out there kind of a brand thing and i think mm. that's always inherently limited some of their appeal like mirror mask i don't know if you remember that movie yeah we saw i it. remember that yeah i thought it was interesting the one that neil gaiman did uh with them or uh, even farscape which was successful and to a degree but at the same time it's so it's such an odd beast like and they 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 very purposely embrace the weird and i feel like that's all i mean as cool as the dark crystal tv series is from what i understand they're all, it's only going to get one season mm-hmm. so it just they've never had quite as broad appeal as maybe they could have if they weren't trying to be so you know pushing the limitations now and we're only a half in the Netflix thing, but I guess it also brought up this idea. The limitations on what you can show on the screen have largely been demolished by computer graphics. I wonder if that's, I mean, obviously that's opened up whole realms of stories you couldn't do before. But have we, you know, like, is there a loss of, I don't know, is there, is, there, is there a dark, not dark side, a downside to having that limitation of what you can show on screen basically completely demolished because you can make anything in a computer? Eh, it's tricky. I mean, I a lot of purists would say you really shouldn't rely too much on computer because there's always going to be a value. They they think there's a value in having, you know, live animatronics and props and things like that. I mean, I guess one down like in Once Upon a Time, they you know, it's a TV show that they could go to fantastical realms all the time. Yeah. Except at the same time, if you see enough behind the scenes clips of actors on green screen, you start kind of picking up when they're doing that in real life. Uh, mm-hmm. Although, sheesh, man, with the Mandalorian, I can't tell. I mean, that's that that show's oh, not, that, and that's not even green screen. That's like it's crazy what they're doing in that show, and like they're they're playing up against like actual video screens, and they're able to film it in camera, and it looks convincing and that that is mind-boggling to me that like okay this i think is upside to you know the so many less limitations what you can film i mean the mandalorian is a tv show that feels like it's just parts of a movie <laughs> it really does which is which is amazing i mean and i also watched the crown we just started season four and just the cinematography on that movie it's like we have opened up these realms of like half hour hour movie va- quality acting and and filming so, I mean, obviously that's the – there's a, certainly benefits to being able to bend some of these limitations. 
But but then then again, you I mean it's it's like anything else in creativity. There's a good side, and then there's also there's good things about limitations as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I say it really is our artist's job to kind of circle back around to the beginning here to try to push past them, but also embrace them for for what they are. And I, I think I said this on the podcast before, but I remember talking in editing class with a professor about how film students tended to want to break the rules right away. But he's like, while you're here, you should really pay attention to what the rules of the craft are, because mm-hmm. there's a reason why they're rules and you need to become proficient in them before you know a good way to break them. I would agree with that. Yeah. An example of this, Janelle and I have been going through season one of Lost. Of course, we got to yes. bring Lost into this. Yeah. So in filmmaking, there's this rule about the 180-degree plane, meaning if two characters are having a conversation, you know, facing each other, having a conversation, the camera has to stay on one side of them, on the, the yes, one I, side yes, of the 180-degree line. And this is pretty common knowledge, but I'll explain it this way. Because the reason is that way it keeps the in the viewer's mind the, lo- the character's location consistent. So there's this episode where uh, Locke and Saeed are having this conversation. Saeed's questioning Locke because Locke's being shady because Locke sometimes oh, is oh, shady. Oh, that's all Locke is doing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a moment where Locke drops a bomb and, like, not literally. Which, <laughs> well, it depends on the season. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, like, he, he reveals something and then it's like, he was the one who knocked you out uh, earlier this season. And then it cuts a commercial break. At the other side of the commercial break, the cameras cross the 180-degree line, but they get away with it because you just had a commercial break. You just, you know, kind of an scene. You've come back after the commercial. And now, mm-hmm. the, and the purpose, I think, of having the camera on the other side is, like, suddenly this conversation has shifted. Because ah. it was about this, and now all of a sudden it's about this. All of a sudden, Saeed is now mad, and so you got to, like... This is a new thing, but you wouldn't be able to break that rule if you didn't have the limitation of having to cut to a commercial. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I think not just in creativity, but in life, just these these limitations, these boundaries. You know what was it? G.K. Chester says, "Don't move a fence till you figure out what it's there for." <laughs> uh-huh. So yeah, I think these are these are usually good rules and things that are. are I think beneficial to your creativity in many ways. I think a free, a completely fr- complete freedom is usually kills creativity. Mm-hmm. And I would argue that there's a uh, philosophical ramification there to all that that uh, could be applied outside of storytelling to yes to everyday life. There's a reason why we have boundaries. I would completely agree there. All right. Anything else to add there, Tim? I think that's all I got. Anyways, it sounded like a pretty good ending. So, all right. <laughs> so, everyone, that is the end. Of, we usually have a limitation, about a half hour on these things. So, here we go. That's the end of Story School. <laughs> and we'll go to Soundtrack. So, Tim, you know, there's this limitation on, like, having a five-minute or less soundtrack, which we had to break at least once mm-hmm. um, yeah. with our friend Maze Dude. Yeah, that's true. But I had to bring Mazedu back into this because he likes to play within boundaries and limitations himself, as you have probably guessed if you've listened to any of my talks about Mazedu. But today is a remix from Bioshock, which I've never played, but I've heard only good things about. And it is called Cohen's 8-Bit Masterpiece. Now, in-game, apparently, there's this Cohen's Masterpiece theme. There's this beautiful piano piece. 
And Maze Dude decided that he wanted to remix it using only the five channels of a NES sound thing. The original Nintendo system. The original Nintendo, yes. And he said it was very hard, but he really enjoyed what he, and I enjoyed what he came up with too. So he took this kind of piano piece and he made this Nintendo piece as if Bioshock, I guess, was on the original NES. So that is my soundtrack for today. I hope you enjoy some chippy goodness. Well, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed um, Cohen's 8-Bit Masterpiece. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And I hear uh, Maze Dude, uh, this episode may not come out in time, but Maze Dude has been up to, to some pretty interesting projects. Yes, he has a Kickstarter as of our recording. I think it's just about over. I haven't checked on it lately. Um, but he is trying to make an album of basically his sort of music inspired by Bible verses and Bible ideas, which is would be, I hope gets done. But I think it'd be fascinating. His his sketch for Genesis 1-2 is quite interesting, I think. Cool. Yeah, I haven't listened to any of uh, his samples yet, but I, I think it sounds like a re- really cool project. I seem to recall with uh, even his last album, 
his Kickstarter was lagging for a while, then it had a big donation toward the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I hopefully that's what happened this time. I mean, it was, I mean, I think the people interested are very interested, but it's kind of a niche thing. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of money. You need to get all the all the live instruments and stuff he wants to do, like he did with his last album. Gotcha. Cool. So yeah, if it's still around, go uh, look it up. Maybe we'll put a link in the show notes. Awesome. So Tim, I believe it's time for challenge accepted. So this is one of our newer segments where we basically challenge others or our, each other to some sort of creativity thing. Sort of storytelling game. Yes, it's like it's kind of what if, but with points, but the points don't matter. Um, <laughs> or it's competitive as opposed to cooperative, I guess. Exactly. It's like American board games versus a European board game. <laughs> Very true. So anyways, Tim, so this was your idea, so I'll let you do the explaining. Oh, okay, okay. So the idea here is that we will each come up with a set of limitations, and the other person has to brainstorm, spit out a story, <clears throat> spin us a yarn, if you will, that falls within those limitations within about oh, two to three minutes. Keep this quick. So here's a question, Tim. Now, when we're saying story, we're saying like you're telling the actual story or is it like a summary of a story? More like a summary, I think. Okay. So like if I said first person as a limitation, it won't actually count necessarily because you won't be telling the story. Yeah, no, no, I don't okay. think so. Because it'll be, it'll be easier to summarize. Like if we were telling an actual story, it means like these would all have to be flash fictions essentially. Yes, or a little tiny. Like there are flash fiction contests where like limitations like – Write the story. Here's the topic. You have 33 words exactly. Yeah. I remember you did one of those. I don't like the super short one. To me, it's almost more gimmicky than story at that point. Mm. But Too again, much of a it's a limitation. Then. You do have to work to be creative. I mean, there is that. So Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. Who, who wants to go first here? I guess I will. I will give you some limitations here. Okay. I'll give you, uh, I think this is, well, who knows if it's easy or not. You got, okay, here's three requirements for your story, Tim. Okay. One, there can only be one character. Okay. Two, there's also one animal. Okay. And three, it's in a city. Okay. <laughs> well, that's actually, that's actually pretty simple, or at least it could be. Okay. Yeah, I think there's a couple simple ones to go with this, but I thought it'd be a fun, simple starting one. So wait, only one character or only one human? Like, are, can there be other? Can he encounter other people? Just the, the... I, uh, I'm going to say, um, you, you take the limitations as you wish. Okay. I, I said what I said, so you go with it. Okay, I will. Um, I said one character I and one animal, and in a city. Okay. All right. Uh, here we go. Two minutes. Okay, so this is about a man who is in quarantine during the height of COVID. He's stuck in his apartment with his parents. He doesn't have anyone else to talk to, so he makes it his goal to um, a useful speech. Let's say he's trying to teach his parents uh, the Gettysburg Address. Oh, nice. And as he continues to, to try to rehearse it, he starts learning it more and uh, kind of maybe even looking at headlines to try to make some more poignant, you know, references to it. And over the course of, I don't know, a month, two months, with no one else to talk to, he... Uh, Man, this is a long quarantine. <laughs> well, okay, four, 14 days, I guess. I was going with, like, the original lockdown. 
Okay, now it could be COVID or it could be even worse. I, no, I don't know. <laughs> it might as well keep, just keep it COVID and keep it uh, fresh, current. So anyway, he, by teaching the bird, the parrot, the Gettysburg Address, he himself also learns it. He knows it by heart. In fact, he's getting kind of sick of it, and he burns up all his $5 bills in the process. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, he also comes away with a deeper appreciation of American history and Except the only downside is that he finds that the parrot is now a bit of a bore to listen to. <laughs> he, nice. He, he both falls in love with and is tired of hearing the Gettysburg Address. Wow. I I uh, actually had no I, – I, my directions were completely different than that. I, I kind of enjoyed – what do you call this this story? What do I call this story? Um Two weeks and four days. Uh, no, like two score. Yeah, two, and, yeah some know. something with the the opening gambit in there. Fourteens uh, and <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Two score and two crackers. <laughs> How much is a score? Well, I always forget. That's like it's twenty years, I believe. Twenty years. Okay, it's always it's a weird archaic term. It is. All right. So if if you could make this as a as a story, would you write it or would it be like some sort of short film? I, I see it as a short film. I think. I see that. I, th- I think it could be really entertaining. I'm sure you could get some interesting. Mo- yeah, I'm, that, that was my elevator pitch, basically. I, I'm sure give it some more time, you could come up with some cute scenes. But yeah, that's that's. I think that's all I got. Okay, awesome, awesome. Okay, give me give me your best shot. Okay, let me see. Let me think. I did you had you written yours down? I I meant to come up with some. No, I actually just uh, while we were introing it, I just wrote those down real quick. I'm I'm just gonna come with limitations on the fly. Nice, nice. I think that's good. Okay, let me think here. Um, come up with an audio drama. Okay. That has no dialogue. Oh. So you okay. can have narration. You can have. Oh, so narration counts. Just no characters actually. Right. No. Talking. No, no dialogue. Oh, okay. And. It has to feature a car has to be involved somehow. Okay. So that's Drat. I was just gonna do Peter and the Wolf, but okay. <laughs> um Okay. So audio drama. It's called I don't know, we'll figure out what it's called in a second. Um, but it's about this car that's been abandoned for a long time on the side of a road in Alaska. And the narrator you can hear uh, there's like people walk by and leave because I can have sound effects, right? I, yes. As long as they don't talk. Yes. So walk by, and the narrator will say, like, you know, talk about what the car looks like, and then walk away and come back. And then the car starts dreaming about all the owners that he used to have. And so then you have a you know audio flashback. The radio is on. Does the radio count? Uh, you can't have announcers, but you could have music. You have music. Okay, jazz music. The you can hear the thing going and you know just sort of like and he's talking about how he used to go around town and he was the life of the party and that and then one day um his his tires went out and there's a skidding and this crash and then just sort of this like dark music and then he comes back and that's kind of his backstory and then you hear some the the hood come up and some sort of electricity sounds and then it says how the car was feeling this kind of buzz and like like he, there was a new energy in him and then the door slamming and some more buzzing and then the car revs up and drives away and very slowly the radio starts on again there's this little jazz music 
And and then there is uh, how the car is so happy that someone's decided to take him or steal him or whatever. And then there's this skidding and his tire pops and he crashes again and that's the end of the story. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> it took a, a dark turn. No pun. <laughs> Pun intended or not, you decide. <laughs> I wasn't sure how to end it otherwise. So you just, it's like, it's like the Muppet thing where you just eat something, you just crash something. So <laughs> you either eat something or you explode, that kind of thing. Exactly. So we did the exploding. <laughs> okay. So, so it says, I think, I think given more time, you could, you could make it get me have more backstory. It, it's like the history of the car. It's just like yeah. dreams of a car. And yeah. I think, um, it's, it's different. I, yeah, I, I've never actually thought, I kind of want to make this now. Honestly, I, I kind of dig it. I mean, I haven't listened to it, but it sounds like what you've told me about uh, the Mind Palace. The what's the the podcast you listen to? The Audio Palace. Oh, the 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 what is that called? The the Memory Palace. Memory Palace. Yeah, and they, that, those are usually history stories. But yeah, this would be more like a yeah, like a little slice of life, meditative, anthrom anthropomorphic car thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was actually really originally going to add in the whole idea that there's that city in Alaska that has like more abandoned cars than anything. <laughs> okay, else. that's why Alaska came in. Okay, but I, I couldn't quite figure out how to make it work, so I went a different direction. Okay, gotcha. Fun, fun. All right, and um, all right. Of course, listeners, you can write in and let us know after we've finished going through these. You can give us your rankings. Let us know who won. So yeah, round one, Tim. Round one is Gettysburg Parrot versus Sad Jazz Car. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, we, I feel like we both went very artsy with this first one. <laughs> so I want to know. Yeah, I need a vote. I think we need a poll on Facebook about whether uh, Gettysburg Parrot or ja- or Sad Jazz Car wins. Yes, I think I think it'd be great. All right, so give me your next set of limitations here, Nick. All right, let's see. It needs to be, let's see, just top of my head. It needs to be on a spaceship. Okay. It needs to involve at least one monkey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and two people who don't speak the same language. Okay. They don't speak any same, any language? No, they don't understand each other. Okay. Like, we can understand one of them, and we can have subtitles if you want. And one of them could be a human-monkey hybrid if you want. I don't care. But there's one monkey, at least two people, one of them who doesn't understand wait, the other wait. one. Only one monkey or at least one monkey? At least one monkey. Okay, okay. <laughs> that changes the limitation. It does, it does. I have to be specific here. Okay. Um, okay, I will give this a shot. I don't know why I have animals in all mine, but go for it. <laughs> all right, here we go. So there's this mad scientist who kidnapped two students from a hostel and sent them into space in a ship full of monkeys. This is sort of a sci-fi comedy. Okay. The purpose of the uh, experiment was to see, basically, he sent them up with like a room full of monkeys. Let's say there's 10 of them. And they're supposed to be nominally supposed to be the crew of this spaceship. Um, <laughs> he was going off the idea of, well, like if a room full of monkeys can type out a book, which he's been doing experiments to prove these are scientifically engineered monkeys. Uh, he thinks they're smarter and he basically wants to prove that whole saying about uh, a bunch of monkeys in a room being able to type out Shakespeare. It's like, well, he thinks they can fly a spaceship too. And to throw more chaos into it, he's included these 
poor hapless souls who uh, one speaks Korean and the other one speaks Spanish. And um, neither one of them understand each other, but they they uh, come to understand and trust that the monkeys have some idea what they're doing. At least they know more, seem to know more about space travel than they do. Um, nice. And so they develop this friendship with them. They all get sick of bananas by the end of the trip. <laughs> um, they wind up coming up with their own form of communication, sign language that they use to communicate to each other and the monkeys. Um, it's it's there's lots of mishaps. Uh, they almost run into uh, asteroids a few times along the way. And they're... so is this madcap or like just normal like sci-fi comedy? Uh I think I think this is more madcap. Um, okay. Like live act live action. Like I'd say, the, the, well, it's hmm, I I casted two foreign characters, but like let's say they they have the comedic sensibilities of like a a Jim Carrey and a uh, who's the guy from Ant Man, uh, Michael. Okay, yeah. Michael Pena, or is that I can't can't remember. If I'm thinking of the right guy or not. Um, but anyway, obviously one's a Korean, one's uh, Hispanic. Um, okay, but but yes, they uh, they never understand each other, but they wound up having making friends. Um, unfortunately, the monkeys are uh, are competent enough to get them through space, but not enough to get them back towards Earth. So the <laughs> final shot just kind of you kind of see them blasting off past Pluto because they've made made really good time somehow off to explore the galaxy together. Nice. <laughs> so space Hamlet. Uh, sure. Hopefully not that tragic. No, no. <laughs> so, okay, I like it. I, I I could see watching this. I think this would be one of those, like, Galaxy Quest sort of Napoleon Dynamite sort of. Yeah. This I've never thought of Galaxy Quest Napoleon Dynamite, but I think <laughs> we could do it. Yeah, this uh, this format of, of live brainstorming, is, I feel a little different than we did before because we have this time limit limitation. Um, that makes us just kind of keep going with things and not thinking too much about it. It's like well, spewing well, and, words and, onto a page. <laughs> well, the other thing with this limitation is that because it was challenge accepted, not what if, we're not like necessarily brainstorming off each other. We're just sort of trying to fill the space. <laughs> true, true. We're like, there's very little like, no, that's not a good idea. Let's not go that direction. It's like, nope, we, I've started on this this idea. I'm going to keep going because I got it. doesn't matter how ridiculous it is. We will make this happen. <laughs> All right, Tim. So I need to – I need to. Um, yes, I got I to give you some – Space monkeys I need to beat somehow. Okay, yeah. Um, all right. It has to be set in the Australian outback. Okay. With a politician, a – Five-year-old. Do they have to be separate people? Yes, these are three different people. It's a politician, okay, okay. a five-year-old, and a priest. And a priest in the Australian outback, and the the theme is birthdays, birthdays, and the meaning of life, and the meaning of life. Well, All right, birthdays is related. To, the meaning of life as related to a birthday. We'll say that. Or is that too many limitations? No, no, we'll, no, we'll do it. Okay, so, so Australian right, sorry, Outback. I gave you a lot of stuff there. No, we'll, just, we'll go with it. Okay. Australian Outback, politician, five-year-old, priest, and then the theme is birthdays and or the meaning and the meaning of life as it relates to. Yeah. All right. All right. So, Aboriginal, uh, I, I don't know enough of Australian Outback, but child, five-year-old, goes exploring. He's some sort, he's just out and about. Um kind of just doing his own walkabout because he's awesome and he's curious and he is 
showing maybe this missionary, this priest has come to their village and he's showing him around. He has seen this um, strange guy hiding out somewhere in the jungle or I guess not jungle, it's out back, but in the, in the barrens. Um, and he takes this priest because the priest is like, what, what's going on? And he's like, oh, possession, you know, some things is some sort of evil spirit out there. And they go out there and they find this old man with a kind of a mustache and it's, um, and it's his birthday. He's all sad. And they find out his birthday because he just starts talking to him. He has this, uh, German accent. And so the priest is kind of talking to him and he's, and the guy's talking about all the things that he used to, that he, he used to be great, and he had all these plans for the world, and the, and the priest is trying to help him feel like, no, look, you're, the best of your life's not over yet. Um, you know, just because you're old and close to death, that, look, there's still, you know, there's purpose in your life and everything. And the five-year-old is basically just kind of staring and listening and causing, you know, he's just kind of the comic relief to a certain extent, but he also is kind of like being friendly to the guy and everything. And then at some point, it's revealed that um, this guy's Hitler, that he had escaped and he'd not hang out in Brazil. He'd hang out in those throwing out back. Um, and then the priest realized this. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not sure what to do because he now wants to take back all of his advice and he wants to just turn this guy in. And then, but the five-year-old's watching about how he's, you know, how he's going to deal with this this is getting way more serious than I actually meant this to be. I meant this to be <laughs> funny. But now it's like the meaning of life and whether you can forgive a person if he's actually repentant and all this stuff. Um, and so the priest has to show true understanding and forgiveness to this guy who he basically hates with a passion. And then um, the five-year-old, they go home and the, five, and the Hitler, old Hitler stays in his little area he's been living for the last couple of years. And... It's kind of a nice moment between priest and whatever, and the priest goes home, and the five-year-old and Hitler become friends for the last few years of his life. I don't know. Completely weird. I don't know where I would go with that thing. <laughs> that that took a turn. <laughs> Talk about a twist kind of in the middle of the story. That was actually, I actually, as soon as a politician, I thought Hitler. Oh, really? Um, okay. Well, because I'm, well, okay, so I'm kind of, I'm teaching animal farm at school, which is St- Stalin, but I, it's kind of just that World War II era is in my head currently. Okay. Except, like, I kind of wanted to do something more ridiculous with it, but then it got kind of serious. And <laughs> I kind of like it, but I think I also butchered it. So, um,. <laughs> I think you could probably do something with it, yeah, but right now there... it's kind of a mess. I mean, I kind of like the idea of a priest trying to reform. Is it? Did you say a time traveling Hitler, or like a Hitler who faked his death? Yeah, like you know how they always said that he was actually hanging out in Brazil. Like he didn't actually kill himself; he had escaped and was oh, in hiding. Okay. So I just, um, well, some people used to say that. Like I think there's a movie. I think there's a movie about him hiding out in Brazil. Okay. I don't remember what it's called. But yeah, anyway, so he's actually hanging out. But I, I, I feel like he's like 90 or something. Like he's actually like really decrepit and old and fascinating. Yeah, I don't know what to do with that. I think I, there, again, went artsy on you. I, um, I mean, but I, I, I like the idea of, of like, on me. I'm fascinated by the idea of like an elderly Hitler basically having a confessional with a priest in the middle of the desert. The, yeah. the kid now kind of feels superfluous. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Unless, I don't know, maybe there's some, like, life and rebirth sort of message you could pull out of that. Well, and I suppose if you did it more framing in the sense that, like, 
maybe the priest can be all these, the, what of the tribe is felt like there's this evil spirit or something around there. And then they, you know, so maybe there's this, this kind of family drama of the kid attached to all this going on. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen, oh, what movie that was? I don't even know what it was called. Anyways. Okay. That's what I got. So, okay, so it was, well. uh, madcaps, space monkeys and old sad Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Those are very diff- two very different stories. Oh, man. Yeah, that's something else. All right. What do you think? Should we do one more, or we? what's our time on this? Um, We're going long, but three just feels like a nice number. Okay, nice three number is this. a nice number. Okay, so I got to think of a different sort of limitation for you. Okay, you need, let's have a husband and wife. Okay. It needs to be a mystery. And somewhere in this... Is the importance of Harry Truman. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Harry Truman needs to be important either in, in, in actuality or just the idea of Harry Truman. <laughs> the idea, the man, the mythos <laughs> of Harry Truman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I apologize now. Okay. Uh, let's see what we can come up with here. So this is about a husband and wife who... The wife's great uncle has left her an inheritance, and so they have to go to his manor to kind of to uh, get to the will. However, his will has some mysterious demands. They have to solve this mystery related to it that the, this guy has set up. It's a very elaborate thing about their will, um, and their great uncle just happened to be this big fan of Harry Truman. <laughs> Uh, he's a real history buff, and he thought that Harry Truman was is a character he was particularly enamored with. So basically, they have to go through his manor, researching, learning all about Harry Truman's <laughs> career, and trying to solve the riddles set up in their the great uncle's will. And why on earth, who she didn't even realize she had this uncle in the first place, why did he pick her to inherit his fortune? if she's able to solve the mystery of the importance of Harry Truman. Lots of interesting questions there that I'm sure a history buff would love to <laughs> tell the story, but I am unqualified to. So it's like, so, so it's somewhere between the Westing game and National Treasure. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. Have you read the Westing game? I have. It's been quite a while, but yeah. the so, yeah, yeah. Very American history-ish sort of inheritance thing yeah mm-hmm. yep awesome. i think it'd be a great a great uh, children's book or you know like one of those movies that the substitute teacher would play for the history <laughs> class i love that a substitute teacher will play this just to kill time that's, that's uh, awesome that, that's what i'll go with <laughs> all right i like okay all right, so, so like so i'm gonna name right? the name of this one i'm gonna call who who cares about harry truman that's going to be the name <laughs> of it <laughs> Oh, that's great. Uh, <laughs> All right. Which, actually, have you ever seen the, the movie? There is a movie about Truman. Did you ever see that? I don't think I have, no. Uh, it's, it's actually kind of interesting. So I I do find Harry Truman an interesting character, but not not quite that. Uh, <laughs> Isn't his big thing, like, he he's the one who decided to drop the bomb? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and the fact that he was basically the... He was very much a second banana to FDR. Yep. And yep. and he wound up having to step into those roles when no one really expected him to or really even knew him that much. 
FDR was a superstar, and he was yes. just kind of this nobody just, that was sounding like the president German. of the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> nice so, things like that. But anyway, um, okay, for Nick, okay. what we got here. This has to involve Vikings. Okay. In a fantasy setting. In fan. Okay, so it's not necessarily real Vikings. I mean, like not historical. Ne- not necessarily. Not necessarily. Wanna, I mean, it, could, but it could be. Yes. Okay. And the color purple has to play a very important part of the story. Okay. So, uh, I've decided this is actually a, a daily comic strip. Okay. Called um, Vaudeville Vikings. Um, <laughs> okay, Vaudeville Vikings. Okay. So, so it's about, uh, obviously, there's a land that it's full of dragons and elves and wizards and necromancers and everything else. But there's this one small crew of Vikings that, um, and their 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 color do kind of distinguish themselves. Their clan is they wear purple every time. Everyone normally the Vikings wear like red or black or you know these kind of combination of these real, like really scary helmets. These guys wear purple, and their goal is to basically pillage people with joy. Okay, so they are okay. just going around and. They come up in their ship and they run in there and they have rubber chickens and they have, you know, big shoes and they have um, swords that, you know, don't actually hurt. They just go in. And meanwhile, the whole kind of shtick is that everything else is everyone's always at war, like everyone else. Everyone's just constantly fighting. There's evil kings. There's Cthulhu running around um, that there's, you know, there's like these major brownies that just go around and like bite people's ankles like every strip is basically just some sort of and it's a it's a it's a strip with a with the story it's sort of like Doonesbury meets Calvin and Hobbes okay where well, <laughs> you just mean ongoing story ongoing story yes so like like the our vaudeville vikings like they're funny and whatever but they also have like backstories and characters and stuff no, and but there's did you say the Vikings are stealing joy? No, they're, no, no, they're, well, they pillage villages with joy. Like, they're there to, like, make people happy. Like, they're, oh, they're, okay. they're, they're the comic relief. Um, they feel okay, like that, that's gotcha. their, that's, that's their sort of, like, it's like their clan's mission. It's like their, the, the codex they have is that they must go around in this world that's just full of violence and, and backstabbing and whatever to go around and be ridiculous. And it's, you know, so it's kind of this struggle of, like, how do we do that? Do people listen to them? Are they always driven out of town? Uh, how do they get involved in the politics by accident? So, yeah, so it's just this ongoing, you know, daily comic strip of the vaudeville Vikings that are just, you know, they're very purple and everything else is very black and red on this on the strips, uh, on the okay. Sunday strips, obviously, or on the webcomic. I mean, it's a webcomic, true. It's, it starts. Okay. And yeah, so there's just this long rambling story with um, Phil, who's the main uh, clan leader. OK. Of the vaudeville Vikings. Yeah. I think that's time, but <laughs> I'm thinking it. Like I, I feel like the, this would be very popular, particularly in Europe. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, what's, what's there's a long running Viking strip over in Europe. What is that? Asterix or something like that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say uh, Haggard the Horrible, which is not fun at no, all. No, no, it's it's long past its prime. Yes, but no that that sounds that sounds like a fun idea. I mean, I, I feel like the 
the color motif would work better in webcomic form. In yeah, some I ways think webcomic would be better. I was thinking, I was thinking strip just because I thought of, but yeah, I think webcomic would be better. Yes, and so they're very garish compared to everyone else. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fun though. I'd uh, go read it. Yeah, it's like uh, I like the idea of like basically a whole because there's a lot of fantasy nowadays that's like trying to cast itself in the Game of Thrones vibe. Mm-hmm. And and I think you mock that. You have the background, like everyone else kind of Game of Thrones vibe and these people are just like, waka, waka, waka. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I love it. I love it. <laughs> the thing that always bugs me about mainstream fantasy, everyone tries to act in the, like the vein of someone else for a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like after Lord of the Rings, there were imitators of that and then like even try to make Alice in a Wonderland a Lord of the Rings sort of thing, you know, and then yeah, and then now weird. it's now everyone's doing their own Game of Thrones kind of thing. This, yep, yeah, but apparently even Lord of the Rings now. Uh, apparently. So, but anyway, yeah, no, I I love it. The Vaudeville Vikings. You actually Vaudeville. I think that's the best title we've had so far. <laughs> so I okay, I seriously, everyone listening, you need to go to come to our comments. Come, you know, send us an email. We want to hear. Which of these were your favorites? And also, uh, this is challenge accepted. So one of us needs to win. Yeah, so right. you can give give your vote for Tim or Nick, and we would love to hear just how we did making stuff up just on the fly. <laughs> so it's always fun. The limitation of two to three minutes of brainstorming, <laughs> of word vomit. Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Tim, tell us how we can get a hold of us <laughs> how we can get a hold of ourselves uh, yes because i might be stuck in grover's corners for a while so oh i see your point well i may email our account uh derailed trains at gmail.com that may help be helpful um i could also maybe send us send ourselves a tweet um because we are at derailed underscore trains on twitter um of course our website is derailed trains of thought.blogspot.com Awesome. And we'll also take, if you want to just leave a little audio word vomit of your own, explain what you like best, uh, we'd love to hear that too. And you may show up on the show. Absolutely. Yep. We welcome all that stuff. And of course, feel free to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And tell your friends. Or Stitcher. Yeah. Yeah. And, and spread the word. Spread the love. Well, Tim, right here, I think when we, when we after you play your soundtrack, I'm going to go hang out with, there's a family asking me over to eat some food, and I think I might just hang out here in this town for a while. It's kind of kind of cool. nice. Kind of peaceful. I hear they're, they're going to have like a, a film fest tonight. They're getting ready to like, the whole town seems pretty excited for something. So Oh, cool. That, that should be fun. It seems it seems like a re- really uh, enthusiastic film community in this, this little town here or suburb or wherever we are here in New Jersey. Nice. Well, we could have ended up in far worse places than we got to. So thank you, podcast. Yes, indeed. Okay, for my soundtrack today, I thought I'd come up with something from Undertale, uh, which I don't think we've actually featured Undertale as a soundtrack. It's very much made in the style of like an old computer game, so they have put limitations on old graphics and stuff. But it's also very innovative in uh, what it does, and the music is also that way. This particular uh, remix is called Glitter Bomb. It is by the band Long Box of Chocolate, who has a whole album of Undertale music. And there was another one I really would have loved to have used, but it's not on OC Remix. 
If you ever want to listen to uh, another fun one, is called The Great Spaghetti Caper of 1936. No, that's a great title. <laughs> it is a great title, and uh, I would like to play that. But again, it's not an OC remix, so I will play this one, Glitter Bomb, which is also pretty fun. Uh, it's very kind of disco funky, and I think you'll enjoy it. Like I said, it's by a long box of chocolate with some help from Philippe Delag. Delag. Delag? I'm not sure how you say his last name. Philippe. Uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoy. <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, uh, we will see you next time. Until then, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.